At WTC, we believe that theological education is important for everyone, not just those in paid ministerial work. As a result, more than half of our student body aren't in paid Christian ministry, but they work in the marketplace, in education, health, the trades, and other venues. But still, in our Christian culture at large, there's a lingering concept of ministry as something confined to the internal workings of the church, which can leave many professionals feeling like their vocation is separate from the work of the kingdom. My guest on this episode, Marika Hook, believes that professionals should be viewed as those on kingdom mission in the world and should be supported, equipped, and learned from in their communication of the gospel. Marika is a writer, speaker, pastor, and guest lecturer in theological colleges. She holds a master's in applied theology and a PhD from Regents Theological College in the University of Manchester. She co-edited the book, Micah's Challenge, The Church's Responsibility to the Global Poor, and Carnival Kingdom. She's a regular contributor on BBC Manchester and a trustee of Ashburnham Christian Trust. In Manchester, she's networked community leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and philanthropists to develop new initiatives. This was such an interesting and thought-provoking discussion, and I hope you can learn from it. Marika, it's wonderful to have you on the Theodisc podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So today we're going to have a conversation about professionals um, and their mission to the world. And maybe looking into a little bit how the potential for, for professionals to carry the kingdom into the world is maybe misunderstood or undervalued and the ways that we can maybe become more aware of that as the church and encourage that. Mm. So that's where we're going to dig into um, and going to love hearing your thoughts on that and um, your experience of that. But first, before we get there, um, I'm going to ask you three questions that I ask every first time guest who comes on the podcast, just so we can get to know a little bit about the things that are constants in your life, things that you return to. So the three categories I'm going to ask you to think about are a book that you return to, a food or a meal that you return to, and a location. And I should say, I tell all my guests that a book, you can't use the Bible or any variation of the Bible. So that is out of bounds. <laughs> when I have like biblical scholars on here, they, they kind of smack the desk when I say that. So, <laughs> okay. So, so first, um, uh, a book that you return to. Um, well, uh, that's very easy for me because I think it will be the book, um, The Moral Vision of the New Testament by Richard Hayes, mm. which is a fabulous book about where he delves into the New Testament and goes to the, how do the individual writers of the New Testament, what is their, in a way, what is their signature? What is their lens? What is their, what are the specific of the way they communicate, either the gospel or the letters? And um, and then he says that there can at times be a, a tension in various aspects of these writings. And so how do we synthesize? How do we um, uh, help? Uh, for us to form a lens through which we look upon the word and upon the world. And it's a fabulous, I would say, um, intelligent, creative way of thinking about the ethical questions of our time 
through the lens of the various authors, the various voices in the New Testament. Excellent. Yeah, I've not read a Richard Hayes book that I've not really enjoyed, so that's uh, that's brilliant. Okay, a food or a meal that you return to? Uh, well, uh, that is for me salad. I love salads. I, I, I'm raised in, in Holland and vegetables are really important to us. And uh, so uh, salads are really my my favourite food, I would say. As a Scotsman, that just makes me feel sick with envy. <laughs> I can imagine. We don't really do salad. <laughs> no, you would have said fried Mars bars or something like that, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, Marika, that is sickeningly healthy. Well done. That's great. <laughs> okay, and a location or a place that you return to? Um, well, I live in Manchester in the city, um, but where I go to several times a week is the river. There's a river, the River Mercy, running through uh, the city. And for me, that is just such a gorgeous place to walk. To, you know, it is safe. I feel safe as a woman walking on my own because there's always other people cycling or jogging or walking their dog. Or, um, but it's such a sense of well-being when you go to where it's green and there's a river, there's fresh water, there's dogs jumping in. It's, uh, you know, children on bikes. It's such a sense of, yeah, communal well-being as well as the beauty of nature. That's great. He leads me beside Mersey Waters. Absolutely. <laughs> well, great. Excellent. Now we know you a little bit, so we can get into the, the stuff that we're going we're gonna to talk about today. So this idea of professionals being those who can effectively carry the kingdom into our world. I know that you've done a lot of effective work around in a lot of areas, but one thing I'm interested in that you are intent on seeing is this idea of the church popping up where it isn't expected to, which sounds like quite a kingdom thing, doesn't it? So could you maybe tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I think the, um, when, when Jesus says, you know, you are the light of the world, um, and the gospel is good news. I think what we at times do as Christians, we hide that light quite effectively under a bushel, whereas we should put it on a stand so that people may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. And one way I think we do that, can do that very effectively, is through engagement with the media. So the local media, the regional media, because we as Christians are sitting on a host of good news stories. There is such a creative engagement in various fields, whether it's Christians starting a local skate park for the youth or a poetry collective with the homeless or, you know, there is such a myriad of wonderful stories to be told. And I think we need to be on the forefoot because if we wait for the media to come to us, they would come to us on a very narrow moral agenda. But we are full of life and 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 good news. Uh, so that sense of tell those stories publicly to the newspaper, on the radio, in the regional radio, in whatever way you want to tell it, because it is a um, an expression of that of that good news. And in a way, we communicate through that the kind of God that we are serving and the, the story of Jesus Christ as a transformative presence in the way we live our life. So 
when I think, for example, there's always dominant stories. Hey, and here in Mossite, it could be the young people dying in our streets, you know, because of the gang shootings. But when you think the street pastors, the mothers against violence, the prayer vigils in the park, the um the, the the variety of engagement and the annual peace week if you think of the cumulative effect of all those good news stories what you do with communicating that publicly is you change something in i would say the meta narrative so we've got hope we've got a sense of forgiveness there is an active citizenship which is part of our discipleship there is a um, a, a way of looking a lens which is far more redemptive and uh, so if we do that, we begin to change the dominant narrative with a counter narrative. And I think that's what we need to embrace because we've got the best story to tell and we tell it well in our engagement with people. But we need to do that also on a on a grander scale, as it were, so that we permeate a public debate because when we do that we change something in the atmosphere in which all of our mission is taking place so locally think of you know what is the dominant narrative could be a hopelessness because of economic deprivation so and where is the church active and where do you begin to communicate that or you may have a whole asylum seeking uh, congregation in in you know concentration in your city and how is the church engaging with that and not just with the people um, individually or as a group but how do you what is the salt as well so when we think of the public debate we need to place the salt in the public debate because without that it goes off the public debate goes off and um, you know I'm thinking of the Anglican scholar um, and John Stott who introduced this concept of double listening so we listen to the word and we listen to the world so we listen to the world to understand the predicament and then we listen to the word and we think what does the words got to say and he says if we want to communicate this gospel in a creative in a relevant way we need to we need to uh, train ourselves in a double listening and i think thirdly i think to um, produce something which is creative based on the word. I'm thinking of an art review I wrote uh, of the Bible Society here working with a local theatre company and they had asked the local theatre company to produce a, a play uh, around something of the Bible and, and the theatre company said well the Bible what's what the Bible got to say in our time and they said well why don't you look at the story of Ruth so they began to make a picture board, a storyboard. And so you've got these elements of bereavement and uh, displacement and harassment and gleaning and a redemptive community, redemptive relationships. So they had these picture boards and that storyline and they asked the asylum women to walk al along that storyboard. And all these women said, that's my story. That's my story. And they produce this play. So they go from a sense of, well, what does the Bible got to say, you know, to us, to delving into a story and seeing how profoundly important that is in one of the most critical phenomena of our time, which is enforced displacement. Yeah. So you can see the the there is a we need to creatively engage this word with the world and raise questions uh, and an interest and a curiosity of what else has got the Bible to say. What else is that story of Christ? How else does that relate to me in my, in my life, in my locality? Yeah. Yeah, I think traditionally as well, we've thought of 
um, the church as being kind of a central to the town of the city where people gravitate towards it. And that's obviously not the case anymore. Now we need to be thinking more about how do we now go out into the world? And it'd be interesting to hear, you know, how you see professionals as important people in crossing over some of the boundaries where, you know, it seems like the church doesn't always go or know how to reach. Yeah, well, just to start off with that issue of the arts. Mm. So in a postmodern world, it's often through the imagination rather than through reason, something of the kingdom breaks through. And I think the arts could be fantastic. You know, I was reading this morning even the story of Peter, you know, when he gets this vision uh, from heaven, the sheet coming down. So Peter knows the word, he, he knows it, but all of a sudden there's a, a vision and it makes him think, it makes him curious. And then, so God is revealing something to him which breaks through the reason, something new. And then in the days that follow, Peter gets those clues of what does that mean? And all of a sudden he gets a wider understanding of what this kingdom gospel is about. And I think through the arts, we can present something of a vision or a, a, a mystery or a, a, a portrayal of something which is other. And then people can further help, you know, help people further to work it out in their life, what that means. So I think the arts is very important to cross boundaries. I'm thinking of business. You know, I co-edited a book uh, called Carnival Kingdom. And one of the chapters is about business. And uh, the author delves into a historical story of Norway in the 1700s, where there was no democracy, there was no religious freedom, it was very poor. And you've got this Christian entrepreneurial, serial entrepreneur, who begins a whole range of 30 businesses, a paper mill, um, fishing industry, etc. And in the way he changes something economically, he also changes something socially because what the, the way he treats his um, staff is equality amongst women and women. And they put a voice as well. So you've got that whole democratic process, that mm. equality, which is so there's a social transformation taking place. So I think through business as mission, and that's his whole, um, sometimes we can go even into countries, we cross borders, whereas we wouldn't get a visa maybe for religious work, but we would get a visa for enterprise. Right. And as a Christian entrepreneur, we can then begin to see what is going on in the locality in which I'm placed. And how can I bring something of that kingdom transformation, not just work, not just employment, but a kingdom transformation and something of the gospel into the place where God has called me. Mm. So I'm thinking of a wonderful booklet produced by James Featherby, uh, uh, Banking for the Common Good. He's a banker. <laughs> he knows banking. He knows what's going wrong in banking. And then he thinks, so how in this time, banking how can we make that once again something a sphere which is for the common good rather than a extraction economy which serves the wealthy yeah. um economy uh, there is this wonderful czech uh, economist thomas slajcik who has went to the old testament and the new testament and so he delves into these hebrew and first century christian principles of 
values and um, what is the soul of economy. And then he traces how these really these biblical principles throughout history have influenced the eco economy. But he then says we need to rediscover that and come to a shalom economy, which people, the planet, we are all thriving. So it's people who know their sphere. They know economy. And then they delve into the word. And then they they begin to, to be inspired once again and inspire others once again. What does the word has to say to our sphere? So this is where I think professionals have got a really important role in crossing into the sectors of society um, uh, by that combination of knowing their trade and knowing the word and seeing, you know, in our time, it is, uh, uh, I think, uh, our imaginations are captured. So how do we free our imaginations again? Of, of How can this be different? I think we get our inspiration from the word and then the spirit blowing over that and saying, what can that mean for our time? You know, when... When the believers went, went into Babylon and they felt so displaced, they how can we sing the Lord's song in this foreign land? You know, they needed to be reminded of um, God saying, no, you seek the well-being of the place where it's called. You seek the well-being economy or in banking or in healthcare. You seek the well-being of the people and you pray for it. And there will be this interlocking if, if it prospers, if the community prospers, you also will prosper. So it's that sense of destinies are interwoven and we are there as the ambassadors of Christ. Yep. So as you talk about this, there's a certain generation of excitement and the, the sense of potential in yes. professionals so why is it then do you think that there seems to be often such a disconnect sometimes between um the work that professionals do and their relationship with the church um i i think because i think church can become a, a little planet in its in its own bubble isn't it where the clergy at times have got very little understanding of what do people do in daily life um, they read the, the Bible through a particular lens and the examples they will mention are also from their own world often. So you get this whole disconnect between something of the sacred and the secular. Um, whereas if you think of, you know, where does our worship take place? It's in our daily life, isn't it? It's, it is on the Sunday, but it is in our sure. daily life. Yeah. And I think that that sacred secular divide and that interpretation of the word by a particular narrow, uh, well, a particular um, group of people is not always helpful to see the depth and the width and the possibility of the word. Um, so I think that's part of, you know, that I'm thinking of the, um, the parable of the talents with, uh, no, not a parable of talent, a parable of the uh, workers in the vineyard. Mm. So where the people who come late get a, a good wage. So what does that parable mean in the, in the eyes of the employer? You know, we need to pay people a living wage. We need to be a generous employer. That's a really wonderful story to envision and a set of values to make you a better employer. Uh, but maybe as a clergy, you don't necessarily think of 
you know, these applications. So I think it's something of our theology. Yeah. And uh, uh, seeing the church as the gathered body rather than the scattered body in which the, maybe the minister says, this is my vision and I will lead rather than sitting down with the individuals and saying, what's your vision? And, and how can we serve that? So when you're a teacher, what, what is your vision for your class? And how can we serve that? And the teacher may say, well, I've got three asylum kids in my class. I would love a few volunteers to have conversation with them and their mums every week for a couple of hours. Or, you know, there is a vision a teacher has for her profession, for her class. For her. So what is the vision amongst the people of God and how can we serve that? And I think if we do that, we begin to spark possibilities, because if you tell those stories on a Sunday morning to one another, there may be people think, I can do that. I can be involved in your vision because I've got time or I've got talents. And I think that reminds me of when Elizabeth and Mary meet one another. There's something in Elizabeth, you know, jumps up in her. That fruit of the womb jumps up in her because they carry something of the times. They carry something of the, the divine in their time. And when they meet with one another, it sparks. And I have seen that, you know, someone who led, a Christian who led outdoor exploits for young people, uh, telling her story and then a fashion designer in the congregation saying, but I love designing fashion for the outdoors. So you then get connections I wouldn't have made myself. People of different passions, but they see something in which they can serve one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we, um, sometimes our church models are quite internal looking or we sense that ministry is to do with things that we do within the church. Um, but since COVID, I think we've, and I know this is a well-worn idea, but I think there is still in the air this sense of that there's changes upon us. Um, and sometimes we re we've, some places we've reacted well to that and other ways we've gone back to what we know. Um, but I think that um, there's potential here in what you're talking about with, professionals the entrepreneurial and creative heart and mind that can maybe teach us something about how we can navigate that change and um this idea of people being kingdom missionaries into the world so not necessarily just um kind of pouring what energy they have into building church structures but going out is that do you think there's a correlation there between the kind of the need for change and the, what professionals can bring us? Absolutely. And I think when we do that, we will sense it's a bit like an appreciative inquiry. What have we got? We've got so much. We've got people are out in the world. It could be, you know, in their professions or in their community. And they have got something um, in which their daily life is taking place. And, and when you think of Paul, who says in Rome, don't be conformed, you know, to this age but be transformed in your mind to discover what is the good pleasing and perfect will of god that renewing of the mind is 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 based on the word and spirit spirit and life and then we see that our worship takes place in the sanctuary which is his world 
And um, so if we are curious to one another, what is your world like from Monday till Friday? Well, what is the one thing which would really help you? Or what is the, 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 the thing we can pray for you uh, at this moment in time and expect the inbreaking presence of the kingdom to come? And uh, so we come behind one another in what our world is like, in which our worship takes place Monday to Friday. That is a wonderful way to see this uh, community of the people of God being energized and being informed and becoming more intelligent about the mission that is taking place in our everyday and the way we can support one another. A good theology is a part of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking earlier about how you talked about um, telling the story of the church out in the in the culture and in the marketplace. I think there's also an inverse in that that's important, which is telling the story of the kingdom within the church. Yes. So how has God been at work in the world this week outside yes. of our gathering? Yeah. Yeah. I love a book uh, which is uh, written by Bishop Graham Cray. It's called Disciples and Citizens. And in it, he says, Jesus was a storyteller. So he told parables and he told parables in such a way that he began with the things people knew. And then he began to subvert it. They brought, he brought it to an end which they didn't expect. And he says there is as much power in the telling of the story as in the healing of the sick. Which is interesting. There's as much power in the telling of the story as in the healing of the sick. And then it says, we need to find, once again, these imaginative retelling, subverting of our nation story by telling the story of Christ. And I think that's such a wonderful, wonderful tell your story yeah. and reimagine and subvert something of our nation's story or the story of our time. Okay, I want to pick up on something that you just you touched on there, but you spoke about how theological training is really important. Theological education often regarded as the domain of the clergy, of ministers, or people who are training for ordination or for ministry. So why would theological training or education be important for someone who was a, a banker or worked in the NHS or was an artist? What difference would that make to their mission? I think, first of all, it's a huge privilege um, to have to take time out to ponder and to think and to delve and to have questions which you can say aloud. Um, that's a real important part of if we don't want to be conformed to the, you know, the pressures of our time, we don't want to be renewed in our mind. I think to take time out is quite precious, actually. And then to see once again, what is the 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 riches of the word when I think of my profession when I think of my vocation um, and how can it further shape me as not just as a professional but as the kind of professional I want to be mm -hmm. and um, and also in the sphere I work what could be my influence or when I work with others um, in a network what could be our potential influence and I think it. It takes time and it takes um, the unpacking of something of 
um, the kingdom and thinking about how do I apply that? It's the hermeneutics, isn't it? You know, when I was a master's student, one of the directors of a sports, Christian sports uh, charity, he was, he was my fellow student and every paper he did, um, whether it was Pauline pneumatology or whether it was another aspect, he did his paper in the in the realm of his of his sphere of his hmm. profession, and it was a fabulous tailor made, in a way, journey for him, which no doubt he would have you know delved into time and time and again when he would you know develop the ministry and see how the ministry could could be a missionary agent for our time and i think that's the same for a medic one of my friends is a, is a medic and he is he sees how the the inequalities in our social layers and life circumstances how that affects um our health and then begins to you know think of so what in my in my nhs clinical commission what can i do to um, systemically also and who can I um, draw in to, to bring a systemic change so did you go away from the individual patient but also look to what are the systemic hindrances for flourishing so when I seek the well-being for my community what does that mean yeah yeah okay so I think that's I want to kind of finish here on this idea of how can churches then perhaps adapt and begin to think about investing in professionals obviously theological education is one way that churches could could consider that but what are some that and other ways that you think churches could could invest to support professional mission into the world yeah well i i'm i, I think it starts with asking people so what is your world like you know what is your vision and what do you encounter and how can we serve that? So I'm thinking of a plumber here in Burnley. He uh, goes into people's houses and meets people, elderly people who haven't had hot water or heating for two years because their boiler is broken down and they can't, um, you know, the, the prices they have quoted. And he goes in and installs a free boiler. And then he looks into their fridge and he sees there's no food. So it's not just, will I be a plumber or a, a medic or whatever, but what kind of plumber will I be? So if this man who comes into the physical life space of people sees the deprivation and sees what this cost of living crisis means for the most vulnerable amongst us, that could be the poor or people living with disabilities, and then he begins to just to give, to freely give. And he does that out of the goodness of his heart, but it also needs to be resourced. Mm. But the openings it then gives, because you've met people at their point of need, and the openings it then gives to minister, mm. not just a free boiler, but to minister the generosity and the concern and the heart of God. So I think it's understanding the the, the life world in which we function, and then to see, well, we are a very resourceful community. You know, not only with our time, with our gifting, with our money, but also with maybe setting up a, a page, a crowdfunding page, or, you know, just 
IT skills amongst us. You may be a plumber, but you may not be an IT, you know, but there's gifts amongst us, isn't it? So we begin to serve one another with the gifting that we have. And I think that's where the body of Christ is the most powerful, isn't it? When you get that, you know, two are better than one and a threefold cord, isn't it? It's, you know, there was this man without a brother or a son, it says in Ecclesiastics, but then, you know, they come together and then Christ is woven into that. So all of a sudden, you know, Two can have a certain element of effectivity or one, but three, you know, with Christ, we can do so much more. So when we begin to serve one another with the gifting that we have, it becomes a very rich um, way of ministering in our day-to-dayness. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, I just wanted to, just as the last thing in our conversation, time is overtaking us, but the the hopefully will be people who are listening to this podcast right now who are professionals who are out in the world and um i just wonder if we could finish on your word of encouragement to them what would you say to them if they were here in this conversation with us um well two things really from the bible i think first of all it says you know we have been the spirit gives gifts for the common good so that common good is where you are in your day to day. So you have been gifted by the spirit with gifts for the common good. Um, that's one particular um, expectation of expect the spirit really to help you to give you ideas to whisper to you to signpost you to make connections for you to go beyond, you know, in our human weakness, the spirit is a power isn't it? It's that twin theme in Paul, you know, there's this human weakness, we are limited, but with the spirit, you've got this divine twin theme, the spirit empowers us for these works uh, of service. And um, secondly, is that we are the ambassadors of Christ. So when you're an ambassador, um, and you go to a foreign land, you are authorized, you are commissioned, you are equipped, you are resourced to represent your king, your, your queen or whatever in that foreign land. And so we, as the ambassadors of Christ, we need to have this full realization. I am not just a um, shop owner uh, uh, by uh, because I loved it, but I'm a shop owner because God has placed me there. Or I am a, you know, a, a speech therapist because God has placed me there. So I am... Commissioned, I've got some authority. I can expect the resourcing of the kingdom to come to me, to be all that I need to be. And I know that of myself at my time in which I was a speech therapist, it was a delight because you've got this one-to-one relationship with someone and it gives openings beyond what I could have expected. And I think it's that, isn't it? That we expect immeasurably more than just another day at work. Or, you know, just ourselves, we sometimes that powerlessness, we feel, how can we change situations? But we are there as the ambassador and powered by the spirit who helps us in our human weakness. Marika, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your thoughts. And um, I'm sure it will be a real, a real encouragement to those who are listening here out in the marketplace, working, knowing that they are ambassadors of the kingdom. Appreciate your time. Pleasure. Well, thank you, Marika and Kenny, 
for inspiring us to be kingdom missionaries wherever we find ourselves. In our next episode, Kenny will be joined by Aaron White, who teaches the course Jesus and the Prophetic Community at WTC and is also the National Director for 24-7 Prayer in Canada. He has authored and co-authored quite a few books and also co-hosts a podcast called Two Wise Fools, discussing various pop culture narratives and how they affect us. Aaron is a great communicator and this episode promises to be entertaining. Thank you for listening to episode 25 of Theodisc. Join us for episode 26 with Aaron White as we look at how modern ways of storytelling can help shape our theology and ministry. Bye for now.